more like Jesus. That is certainly something we should all strive to be. Today we're going to look at 1 Timothy 6, and uh, we're going to look at godliness. As you open up there this morning, just uh, want to say good morning to you and, and welcome. Excited to have the opportunity to share in God's Word with you. As I mentioned, we're going to look at godliness. And uh, last week, we talked a bit about elders in, in the church, and, and I asked you to think of someone last week who you look up to. And again, today I want to ask you, who is an example of a godly person uh, in your life? As you think of who that person is, I, I, I want to ask you, what is it about that person that makes them godly? You might think of a number of different things and different reasons about their character, the way they are. Uh, but here's the thing, no one's perfect, right? We, we recognize that. There's definitely a difference between a godly person and a, and a self-righteous person. Uh, but this, this idea of godliness has everything to do with the one who is at work in us, right? And really, he's the substance of the message today. Today I proclaim to you Christ Jesus. It's all about Christ alone. So as we look to the word, know that it is Jesus who accomplishes this work within us. He's the one who's faithful to work godliness within those who receive him by faith. Won't you pray with me as we jump into 1 Timothy chapter 6. Lord God, we come before you um, to, receive your, to receive your word. Lord, I, I pray that you would stir in us by your spirit. Oh, a deeper love for you, Lord. A, a conviction, a, a, a drive, a concern to, to godliness, Lord, that you've modeled and that you work within us. Lord, be with us now as we look to your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, 1 Timothy 6, as I mentioned, we'll just start with the first two verses. It's, it's kind of hard to believe that we're already almost through this series, uh, moving on to maturity, walking through Paul's letters to Timothy. So, starting at verse 1, reading in Jesus' name, it says this, All who are under yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters, as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Those who have believing master, believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they are brothers, but must serve them all the more, because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these things. I'll stop right there. So much good truth and, and practical truth for us as Christians. I, I recognize here, for most of us in the room, uh, many of you work. Many of you work. And uh, you, although, of course, some of you don't. Some of you may, might be retired. Some of you might not be of the age where you have a job, per se. It's, it, but this thing about work, it, it really does apply to all of us, regardless of if we have a normal 9 to 5 or not. No matter what you do, uh, people see the way that you live your life. People recognize the way you are and what you're about. And I hope for you, you can honestly say they can recognize who you are about. Uh, 
as I mentioned, anytime I stand before you, it, it is my goal and my objective and my desire to proclaim to you the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we come to this particular text, again, verse 1, let all who are under a yoke as bondservants or slaves regard their masters as worthy of all honor. I want to proclaim to you the gospel, but for many, the reality is when they come to this passage or a text like this, there's a stumbling block or can be a stumbling block. There can be a misunderstanding of scripture. What do I mean? Some translations rightly use the word slave here. And uh, again, I, I get into a bit of a heavy topic here for, for a reason. I had a friend growing up who ultimately rejected Christianity, rejected the Christian faith because he thought that the Bible promotes slavery. The Greek word here literally does mean slave, as I mentioned. Um, and that invokes in us a, uh, a very real and deep sensitivity. And it should, for good reason. But like my friend, I, I think when we hear the word slavery, we associate that word with our national past, don't we? Today I'm speaking on godliness. And it hardly be godly on my part to stand before you and, and defend any type of uh, racism or judgment of someone's skin or, or the inhumane treatment that took, took place in our national past. I certainly praise God that he's worked in our land providentially to abolish slavery uh, through the 13th Amendment. But we also need to be very careful here to not misunderstand the text. The Bible doesn't promote slavery, as many have wrongly concluded based on a verse like this. We need to remember that this was penned in the first century in the Middle East Mediterranean world. What was in the mind of uh, the Apostle Paul is very different than what our, where our minds go when it comes to slavery. Uh, the concept slave was very different at that time. Uh, I don't really have a ton of time to get into this, but what would have been in Paul's mind here is the concept that would be better understood as contracted work. Contracted work. Typically, someone would serve their master for a period of time under far better circumstances than took place in the American South. In most cases, it wasn't for life. And... Uh, However, many people actually opted to work for their master for life. And I recognize the sensitivity here, and again, I don't have time to fully get into it. Uh, I'll just simply refer you to uh, a, a resource. Uh, this is a commentary on Philemon by John Nordling. Uh, so good, so, so good and insightful on the historical context with which Paul was writing. But if you need something a little more uh, accessible, I would refer you to Sean McDowell's uh, YouTube channel. Dr. Sean McDowell uh, has an excellent video called Evil, Hell, Slavery, Ten Challenges to the Faith. So again, Sean McDowell, take note of that. Uh, in there, you're going to find some great insight on this issue. And, and essentially, uh, there's a quote that emerges from, from that interview, and, and, and they said, and I agree with this, the Bible rightly understood, and the Spirit of God is the antidote to racism and bigotry of all sorts. 
So I'm in no way suggesting that, uh, that the Bible justifies slavery. What I'm trying to communicate is we need to be very careful to understand that the text here speaks primarily as a call to godliness in our work. It's a call to godliness in our work. As bond servants or douloi, we, each one of us here, have an obligation to Christian godliness when we show up to work. We have an obligation to honor our boss. We have an obligation to honor our coworkers. And most of all, we have an obligation to honor God as we interact with our bosses. Many of you, I recognize in this room, have unbelieving bosses. Many of you have unbelieving bosses. So how can you work in such a way with these people that honors Christ? Here's uh, just a few things to keep in mind, very practical, very simple, uh, but maybe good reminders to us. Simply this, uh, start by showing up to work on time. Maintain your integrity. Be faithful to your responsibilities. Watch your language. Speak respectfully of your boss and your coworkers, even if they're difficult to get along with. Take an interest in their lives. Pray for them. These are markers of Christian godliness. At the same time, many of you also have believing bosses. What a gift! Many of you here are bosses. As believers, you are a gift to those who work for you. So be respectful of your boss. Don't, don't take advantage of them just because they're, they're a believer. That's certainly what we're getting from the passage. Just because they're gracious to you doesn't mean you should slack off in your work or, uh, or not be a good worker. Uh, the text says, serve them all the more. Even as pastors in our association of churches, uh, we work for the congregation. We work under the congregation. You as believers are, in a very real way, the boss of myself, Pastor Kevin, Pastor Nick, the council and the congregation. We work for them. It wouldn't be right for us to say, well, I don't need to work hard and serve you, right? That wouldn't be godliness. And so for you too, honor your bosses and your work. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for his glory. In all things, we want the name of God to be lifted high. And the way we work and the way we interact at work speaks volumes to uh, proclaiming God's glory. So let's pick back up at verse 3 as we consider, again, godliness in all things teaching in all areas in our doctrine. Verse 3. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he's conceited and understands nothing, but has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Right doctrine matters. And when you hear the word doctrine, for some here, 
that word, again, might invoke some kind of negative feeling, some kind of hard thought. We, we don't really like the word doctrine. Uh, when I was younger in the faith, I, I always kind of thought, I just need Jesus, right? I just need Jesus, but not doctrine. Have you ever heard that or, or thought something like that? Well, there's a problem with, I need Jesus, but not doctrine. Doctrine is simply teaching. We need to know the truth from God's word about who Jesus really is. There's a lot of ideas out there about who Jesus is or what he was about. But in scripture, we find right doctrine, right teaching, sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Most notably, that he's a savior. So, again, if you think that you don't need doctrine, I, I commend you, to, I, I encourage you to look at this text and, and see that our foundation is the words of Jesus Christ. And while we might think, you know, the red letters, for instance, are the most important words, it's actually not true. Cover to cover is God's word. We stand on this as our foundation. And again, in it, we find the promise of forgiveness the promise of mercy and grace and eternal life in our Savior. These words, I think, out of 1 Corinthians sum up so very well this teaching, this doctrine, the godliness within our doctrine that we want to stand upon. Hear these words from Corinthians. The Apostle Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here it is. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. You see, for each one of us, there's no godliness within us. There's no godliness apart from the work of Christ. We are only godly because he is godly. We are only godly because he is the one who works within us. Again, my objective, my hope, my desire, anytime I'm up here is to proclaim to you the pure gospel of Christ. The gospel which says, you're forgiven for your sins. It's not on your shoulders. It's not. You see, you can't change your heart. Only he can. When we think about this doctrine of godliness, we have to understand that really, it is God who teaches us. God who enables us to be righteous, to be godly. Like the holy surgeon, God operates on our heart. Through his word, through his spirit, he gives us a new heart by way of his work on the cross. You've heard this saying before, I'm sure, and I think this is so well said. God loves us the way we are, but too much to leave us the way we are. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? It is. It is. I think that's well said and consistent with this doctrine conforming to godliness. The message of the gospel really should sink into all areas of our lives. 
Only Jesus satisfies our soul, which moves us to the final point here today. Godliness in our contentment. Picking back up at verse 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. You know this verse. (laughs) For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Uh, I have a, uh, thinking about contentment, I, I have an illustration here, and it You'll have to forgive me. It it pertains to football. I've gone this long in the message without bringing up football. I see some smiles back there because you know where I'm going with this. Uh, (laughs) Looking forward to the game today, by the way. Go Eagles. I I took a shot at the Vikings earlier, and I could see the disdain on people's face, so I won't do that. They were kind of looking at me like, shh, buddy, take it easy, you know? See what I did there, Annie? Okay. but here's the illustration. Tom Brady. Okay, you know Tom Brady. He's the most successful football player of all time. Okay, he went to 10 Super Bowls and won seven of them. That's unparalleled success. Tom Brady uh, was giving a speech at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Super Bowl ring ceremony, and, and he said this, and I thought this was fascinating. What an insight into the human heart. Okay, hear this. Tom Brady said, I've been very fortunate to be a part of championship teams, and this is one of them. And then he quotes someone from Michigan, and but Brady says this, you know what my favorite ring is? He says, my favorite ring is the next one. The next one. Uh, that's, a, that's such an example of our endless longing, isn't it? And while maybe we think of something like sports as... as We admire someone who has a drive to success like this, but it really is an example of our hearts and how how we really long for that which we've set our heart upon, don't we? Whether it's fame or success, accolades, material things, we're all longing for something, something more. We're all chasing after something. You've heard this quote too, uh, Blaise Pascal is... uh, Credited for having said this, you've heard this. There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen to that. You see, only Jesus satisfies us. We only have godliness with contentment when our hearts are satisfied in the one who can our desires. You see, again, the message is his mercy, his grace, his compassion, his kindness, his friendship, his goodness towards you as he works in you to change your heart. The text gives us the example of the love of money as that which we should avoid. 
and uh, simply would ask you this, if, if your heart is set on money, have you replaced Christ in your heart? Has the thing which you know satisfies been replaced for that which you know doesn't satisfy? Because we can all sit here and be honest and acknowledge the fact that we know that money doesn't satisfy. But do we live like that? Do we truly have that in our hearts? Do we truly have a love for Christ above a love for money? Why substitute your love for Christ for a love for money? That's not godliness. That leads people to all forms of ungodliness, greed, selfishness, envy. Christ belongs first in our hearts. So as we think about money, we think about contentment, we think about the things in our lives, it simply reminds you to give back to him that which is his and be faithful to this final verse, as Paul says, as for you, O man of God, pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. Christ is faithful to accomplish within you that which he set forth. As we end here today, I just want to encourage you in the message of the gospel. Ultimately, it always goes back to the cross where Jesus has paid all of it. So nothing else is going to satisfy your soul except the love that he has for you. He is the one who's going to lead you forth in this truth. Won't you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. I ask that as we go from here that you would be glorified, Jesus, and that we would find our contentment, our godliness, our character, all things in you. Thank you for the many blessings you've given to us. Praying all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.